You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vowels on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, we're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it sounds like you're in the partying mood, Shane, and that's good news for the fine folks up in Missouri because the Tigers, they're the latest ones, Shane, to announce they were they will sell beer and wine to the general seating of the stadium for the upcoming season. So, hey, cheers to Missouri. You deserve a round of applause there. Absolutely. Good for you, Mizzou. Welcome to SEC. Now if we can just get some of these other guys committed, you know, that's awesome. Well, speaking of being in the party mood, there's more party news around the SEC, shape because Ole Miss, I don't know if you saw this, this was pretty awesome, but they have announced a first ever, what they're calling party decks for the students inside the stadium. Uh, now, it is going to be at the top of the stadium, but they're setting up, you know, booths that are covered with televisions and uh, just it just looks like it's a party atmosphere type deal there in Oxford, Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Uh, I think this is a great idea, Shane. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, sounds safe, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Get them drunk in the Grove, put them on top of the stadium. What could go wrong, you know? (laughs) Now, is is Ole Miss, are they serving alcohol? They are not, no. What? Hotty toddy? Come on. (laughs) Gosh almighty, what are y'all doing down there? This this is crazy. We got Kentucky bourbon. Ain't going to do it. Mm -hmm. We got, you know, Ole Miss hottie totties. Ain't going to do it. But we got the show me state showing everybody how to do it. You got LSU. You know they're going to get drunk, you Mm -hmm. know. And then Knoxville. Who else is? U.S. South Carolina's out. It's ridiculous. It is, Shane. But, you know, before long, they're all going to be jumping on board once they start seeing those dollar signs that they're missing out on. So it's either get them now or wait a season or two and two you got to fire your coach and you can't afford the buyout so get on that train now that's my opinion and uh you know sticking on this theme of fans shane i did want to announce this too because i thought this was pretty neat here on monday south carolina announced something that they're calling the go pass and they're claiming they're the only power five school that's doing this currently and i i just thought this was really neat shane so what this is fans can pay either 25 dollars a month or they can just pay a flat fee of $300 up front, and it allows you one ticket to every single South Carolina sporting event for the year 
The only exception is uh, you won't get to keep the same seat, so they kind of move you around based on availability. And yeah. if the game is a sellout, you do not get a ticket. So there may be some games, you know, probably thinking like the Clemson game, a Georgia game potentially, you may not get in. But this is not only football, this is basketball, this is women's basketball, this is baseball. For 25 bucks a month or $300 a year, I think this is a heck of a deal for South Carolina fans, and I would not be surprised if this thing catches on. Heck, yeah. So this is – does this include football, you said? As long as the game is not a sellout, which – Okay. You know, it just seems like, unfortunately, the way it's trending, not all these games do sell out, but, of course, you know, the big ones do. This is perfect, man. This is absolutely perfect. This is – you know, that's the thing. A lot of people want season passes, you know, but they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Or they can't – you know, some of them want donations. And, I mean, it, it gets really pricey. So this right here, this this allows the working man to get to go to these games because it's not just football. I, know I love football and I'm all about football, but – if I had the opportunity to pop into a basketball game or check out a baseball game and I've got one ticket that's going to get me into all of that, yeah, sign me up. It's like the Dollywood Gold Pass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and from what I understand, it also has a feature where you can kind of link up with other people that have it so you can kind of submit at the same time to ensure that you sit together. So, that I mean, that's just another added bonus. So you you won't be just sitting by yourself if you go with this program as long as you got friends that are also enrolled. So... Uh, I'm just hoping this thing takes off, and like you said, I think it. Uh, you know, people that may not be able to afford season tickets but love going to the games, you know, yeah. this this is going to be a way to get them into the majority of the games at a at a pretty fair price, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because they're not all going, like you said, they're not all going to be sellouts. Even if you go to four games, you got your money's worth. So, yeah, this is a great idea. I love it. All right, Shane. So that's all around the party SEC league. But uh, you ready to go around the league? Let's do it! Now let's go around the league. We we hadn't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our players. I mean, it's just like right. I mean, just hear it over and over and you know like every other every third song it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice so you just uh, you get used to it it's, it's a catchy tune right okay. this game's gonna be a street fight this game's gonna be a street fight i mean some of you guys don't know who kimbo slice is hopefully you do um, and you go back to it man this isn't a sanctioned fight this is a street fight i mean this is the sec so I man it's time it's time to put on the hard hat lunch bail let's get to work All right, Shane, let's start with the big news in the SEC. Huge news here on Friday, but the Gators, they land, Dan Mullins landed himself a five-star, Shane, because old Brenton Cox up and left Georgia, went into the transfer portal. Next thing you know, before he even says anything, before Georgia even released a statement on him leaving, he ends up in Gainesville. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, I, I mean, out of all the teams, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I, I, it doesn't blow my mind that he left, but what blows my mind is that he went across the border to the Florida Gators. That's the big news, man. Yeah. And like I said, this is, this is Florida's only five star on the roster. And Georgia doesn't seem too worried about it. We'll get out, we'll touch on the Georgia side in just a minute. We'll go 
definitely more into this Brenton Cox, but I do want to make these other notes. The Gators also announced this weekend that they have dismissed sophomore defensive back John Huggins. This is the guy that was uh, allegedly choked a tutor during a session last fall, and uh, Dan Mullen said that was all taken care of. He sat five games. I think it was due to that incident. There was no charges. That's an important note. <laughs> but this is, uh, you know, the fifth such incident under Dan Mullen. But while, you know, that is a black eye right now, if you want to call it that, I do want to give Mullen credit because I think it's only fair, Shane, that, you know, he's not responsible for what these other people have done. But it is his responsibility to suspend these players. And that's what that's what he's done. And none of these guys are associated with this problem. You know, it's still an issue that this keeps happening. But mm-hmm. I think you got to give at least some credit for the fact that uh, none of these guys are associated with this program anymore. And I think only one or two of them has been charged with something. So it's not like he's going too lenient on them, I, I would think. Yeah, I mean, there's no charges. But, I mean, that's typically what happens with some of these. You know, you don't – there's no a formal charge with the police or anything like that. But – you know, some of these cats did hang around, man. I mean, some of these incidents happened last October. And, uh, you know, that's my only thing. It's like, if if you're going to get rid of them, when you hear an allegation like that, you know, especially with the culture they got going on right now, like you said, this is their fifth one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like Dan's going to be a little bit moving. It seems like, uh, hopefully, he'll be a little bit more quick on uh, pulling that trigger. But then again, you know, it's like court, man. You're innocent until proven guilty. So uh, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a tough predicament he's in, especially with uh, with the future athletes on his team. Mm-hmm. One other note here on the Gators, Shane. This was some unfortunate news as well, but Noah Banks, offensive lineman, announced that he is going to be forced to retire from the game. That's very unfortunate. This is a guy that missed the spring, but heading into fall camp, Dan Mullen said he was good to go. It looked like he was going to be, you know, obviously the biggest question mark in my mind with the Gators is that offensive line. This yeah. is a guy that I don't know if he was going to start necessarily, but he was essentially their swing man that uh, I think he was going to be, you know, first man up all across the line if someone went down. So in a position where you're replacing four starters, you just it's very tough to lose a guy like this, uh, you know, a week, you know, a week before the game, essentially. Absolutely, man. And he, like you said, he's one of those plug-and-play guys, and you just never know when you're going to need somebody like that. And you always go the next man up, and it's just unfortunate that the next man won't be playing any more football. So uh, tough blow for the Gators there, man. Now let's get back to this Cox story, Shane, because it's so interesting. And Dan Mullen was asked about it on Monday. Let's jump to his comments about it on just the essentially the recruitment of Cox. And I think the most fascinating part of this, Shane, they are applying for a waiver for him to play immediately. What, what was your prior relationship with Cox? How, how that, it came about pretty quickly. How, uh, how did it all kind of unfold? Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I know recruiting, recruiting at Mississippi State, you know, he didn't, I don't, he didn't give us a big look out there. Uh, but we recruited him a little bit, so I knew him that way. I think he knew a lot of the guys on the team. Um, understood defensively, he was a great fit for the scheme that we run on defense. You know, the positional fit. Um, you know, and an opportunity. He's not not like going real far away from home, or is is his mom come watch him play still uh, and be close to home? And I think, uh, um, you know, with what he knew and the guys on the team, that you know, there was it was a good fit for him talking to guys on our team with. 
uh, how our programs run and what we do, and that would would fit him. Uh, back to Cox for a minute. <laughs> um, that came came around pretty quickly. Yeah, like I think it was five days after he entered the portal. Can you give me some background as to how that happens? Is yeah, I mean, Mr. well, they, they, as soon as he went in, they reached out. Some of the players reached out and said he'd been, you know, he called some of the players to ask about us. Uh, you know, dealing with talking with his high school coach, talking to him, talking to his mom, and you know, it's a unique deal. He, you know, because of the timing, he's not allowed to take an official visit. Um, you know, we asked, we, we tried to apply. Can can there be some relief for you know? It's a, part of the transfer portal. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different things that come up, and it's the first time something like this has come up for us. So um, they said no, but you know, and going through everything, I think one of the ones of him wanting to move quickly on it was to get to a school, to be able to you know, a school, and and get the waiver process, get this waiver process for him started and coming here. Uh, so he has the opportunity to play. Um, with Brenton transferring from in, in, inside the SEC and he's not a uh, graduate transfer and Georgia's not on sanctions, do you have to file a waiver with the league? Yep. Yeah, so it's the, same waiver. Okay, so same waiver with NCAA yeah. and the SEC. Yeah. All right, Shane, so Gators got themselves a five-star. This guy, if he plays, I think will be an impact player for the Gators immediately. I'm kind of doubtful that the waiver is going to get approved. But, I mean, can you add any more fuel to this rivalry now that we've already know that Cox, like he said, jumped down to Gainesville? How much is that going to intensify if he plays this season against the Bulldogs? Oh, it's big, man. It's big. I I doubt he's going to be that big of an impact, you know, this year. But, you know, this is just another, like you said, another fuel for the fire. And uh, do you think – where's he from? Like, does he have – a chance and an outside chance like is his family from there or well he's from, they? he's from georgia now this yeah. i was going to get into this this is uh, why i don't think it's going to get a, approved shane because from what i understand you know this is a very you know case by case basis and we never know mm-hmm. what the hell the ncaa is doing with these waivers but the one thing i know for a fact the ones that are getting approved and particularly the ones that are getting approved quickly are ones where the former school signs off on it. So that's what happened with Georgia with Justin Fields. They signed off on him becoming eligible. I mean, they had no issue with it. That's what happened with Ohio State when Tate Martell went down to Miami. They signed off on it and said, yeah, fine, you can be eligible. I I just don't see Kirby Smart saying, yeah, sure, go play for the Florida Gators. Now, in those instances when the former school does not sign off on it, then that's when you have to kind of come up with your case as to why you should be eligible immediately. And the fact that uh, this kid, from what I understand, had issues with Kirby Smart's coaching staff. He's, he got into arguments with his teammates on the field last season. Uh, it's going to be tough, I think, for him to make this case. I think he should have left during the offseason if he was going to make it. You know what I mean? So yeah. why would he go into camp? and then leave in the middle of camp, and, and then, I don't know, unless something happened, Georgia's not really saying much, and obviously uh, Dan Mullen there would not get into it, so they're not going to get into what their appeal for the waiver would be. Uh, but unless something, you know, behind the scenes went down that was that Georgia does not want to get out, I do, I do not imagine uh, any kind of waiver getting approved here. Dude, I had no idea that a school would have a say so like I knew back in the day they they had some influence but it just seems like when you're transferring that it wasn't matter I mean who cares what the team that you're leaving cares if you're eligible or not it should be 
based off the waivers, why you're doing it. You know, if you got family down there or something like that, that, that blows my mind that we've got to get approval from the team they're leaving, mm-hmm. you know? So, so the salt, let's just, and I don't want to flip teams, but let's say Solomon up here. So basically what you're telling me is that Jim Harbaugh said, you know what, I'm not going to grant immediate, uh, you know, even though he's leaving the conference and we're not playing Michigan, you know, he didn't give the green light when Aubrey left. Is that what you're saying? Well, they don't get to grant it, but okay. they get to – they can tell the NCAA that they have no problem with it, essentially. that That's okay. kind of what yeah, I'm getting at. So, so the NCAA is, is still the one that's that's approving it or denying it, but that's a that's a big roadblock is whether the former school has – takes issue with the transfer, essentially. Okay. And I do. Don't get me wrong. I have an issue – with a kid transferring in the conference, you know, so in this situation, especially a rival, man, when you go from Georgia to Florida, I mean, yeah, I've got issue with that. Mm-hmm. But if, if they're going outside the conference, I could see why it wouldn't be as big of a deal because you just don't want a free agency market and that's not what they want to create. So I doubt it gets approved, man. I think, I just think the weirdest part of it is that he did it in the middle of the camp and he went to the main rival <laughs> Like yeah. like three days later, like that Absolutely. that tells me I don't know. That's just he just wants to get back at Georgia. It sounds like. Yeah, do you have his iPad with him? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's skip on down to Athens, Shane. Oh dog, sick him! <laughs> because Kirby Smart was asked about this incident. Of course, you know I was I was shocked. It took him this long. It took three and a half minutes into his presser. I couldn't believe this wasn't the first question. But old Kirby was asked about Bretton Cox and him leaving Florida. He would not even bring up the Gators. But uh, let's uh, jump on to what Kirby had to say here. Concerns? I don't know about that. Brenton chose to withdraw withdraw from the University of Georgia, going to the portal. He's now at another SEC institution. So we wish him nothing but the best, and we appreciate his contributions while he was here. All right, Shane. So it's kind of the standard stuff there. But uh, I could tell just by the way he's talking, you know, he wasn't too pleased that old Cox went down to Gainesville. No, no, there were some F-bombs dropped when he heard that news. You could just kind of tell him because, you know, Coach put a lot of time into recruiting Cox down there. This wasn't like he just made a phone call and he decided to become a Georgia Bulldog. This is somebody he's been working on for a long time, and a lot of man hours went in this. And then you, I mean, you leave during camp and go to Florida? Jeez, yeah, I don't think that ain't keeping Kirby up one or two nights, you know. Mm-hmm. Now let's get to Georgia's scrimmage, weekend scrimmage. Shane, first time the, the Bulldogs hit the practice field in a scrimmage situation. Uh, let's jump to what Kirby had to say on that front. You know, it probably wasn't the kind of scrimmage I was expecting to have. I mean, it wasn't the uh, temperament and the um – I don't know if it was the enthusiasm, but we've gone, I think, six, seven practices now and gotten after it pretty good. And we got after it pretty good on Friday, but I didn't think we had the same juice today as a team. And um, both ones units were a little lethargic, not real good timing, some busts on defense, some some things to clean up. Good news is we got time to clean it up. But I thought both two units, the two defense and two offense, I mean, they didn't dominate the scrimmage by any means, but they did some really good things. This is the first day you really get to see twos go against ones and ones go against twos. You get to go crossways, and then you also get to go good on good. So I thought the second offense and the second defense had some positive things done. Uh, But we got to clean up those first units and we got to make sure that everybody's kind of responding the right way and and creating an identity i didn't think that we created an identity today um some guys did some individual things well all right shane so kirby is not too happy with his ones 
And I think that, uh, you know, for a guy like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, these excellent coaches, it's, I think it's always going to be that way because, you know, as much as we like to, you know, look at these depth charts and see who's returning and see who's not and all this and where they got holes, I think these coaches, particularly at a school like Georgia where the, the roster is so loaded, I think mm-hmm. they have an excellent idea of who's starting even going into camp. So I don't think there's a lot of position battles. You know, there's there's certainly jobs that are up for grabs, no doubt. But I think he knows who he wants to roll with going into that Vanderbilt game week one. And this is kind of his way of putting those guys on notice that, uh, you know, if they don't, whether it's coach talk or not, but just essentially if you don't get it done, uh, we got some young guys ready to step up. Yeah, that's what it kind of felt like to me, man, just pumping up the twos there. You know, this is – this is a reload team, and if you're not if you're not getting your job done, there's plenty of guys behind you that are just as good. Maybe not as much experience, but just as good, and they can pop in and, and take your job for you. No, Georgia doesn't have to have you. Mm-hmm. Now, the big name that I wanted to hear about from this scrimmage, pretty much this training camp, Shane, we've kind of hit on him a couple times here, but Zamir White finally cleared for contact. And from all indications, Shane, this guy looks the part. And that's kind of what Kirby Smart had to say when he he brought him up twice in his presser. He's had some live uh, before today because we've done a couple periods and things throughout. We just hadn't had a live scrimmage. Um, I thought he had he was really contact tough. I mean, he was running behind his pads. He had a couple short yardage runs that were crucial, third and ones, fourth and ones. He was able to churn it out and get first downs. Um, he did have some big catches, um, but he had a good overall day. I mean, he's got to protect the ball. He's got to protect the quarterback, but I think everybody judges him based on what he does when the ball's in his hands, and there's a lot more to being a good running back than that because that's human nature. I mean, when you see a guy go through what he's been through, who's not pulling for Zamir White? I mean, every guy on our staff and every player on our team has seen his ups and downs and the rehab he's done. I mean, he's on the sideline for a whole year just working out and running. So when he gets an opportunity to come out there and gain some confidence and have some success, I think it's, I think everybody's pulling for him. And the defensive players, it's hard to pull for him because you got to tackle him. You know, it's, it's not easy to go out and tackle him. He's a full-grown man when he's out there running the ball. All right, Shane, so this is a guy that I know we've both been high on. And, you know, Georgia put out a little, kind of like on their social media, they put out little teasers for what happened in the scrimmage. And I, you know, I made note that uh, they clearly showed Zamir White trucking a guy f- to get in the end zone for a touchdown. I don't know, man. It just, on all indications, it sounds like Georgia's got them another very, very good running back heading into the season. Oh yeah, absolutely. Going to be tough to bring down, but you know, the thing that really resonated with me is just, I, th- I think th- they're really pulling for this kid. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to remember he limped in with an injury. Uh, when he blew out his, his knee for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then last year, he gets right there and he blows out the other one. And so you see a kid put in all that time and effort and then not get to play. So now I, I think they're just praying that he stays healthy and he looks the part because, uh, like you said, Kirby doesn't sound too excited during these pressers, but he does when he talks about Zamir. Yeah, and it's kind of shades there of Nick Chubb a little bit, I would say. Not, you know, that's probably unfair to compare the two, talking one of the best running backs in Georgia history, but kind of a similar situation where, I mean, he suffered such a devastating injury. We didn't even know if he would come back, and 
course, right. we all know what he's done. So, uh, you know, kind of hoping that Zamir White can do some of those same things. Yeah, for sure. Then I just watched a game with him when he came back, that North Carolina game, his first game back, mm-hmm. and he had over 200 yards. Dude, I mean, they were so excited for him. And, and I think that's kind of like you're right. I think it's kind of the same uh, mentality he has to Zamir. He's just he's seen him work, put in the time to not only rehab but to get game ready. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Roll Nick Saban. He, need, he recapped Alabama's first scrimmage of training camp here recently. And, uh, you know, before we get to that, Shane, man, some tough breaks here at Alabama. Just they're one of the teams that doesn't seem to – well, I, I guess I should say the last two seasons, you know, they've had some injuries. But previously, I don't remember them having this many. And the latest – Man, we talked this guy up. I feel like we yeah. kind of jinxed him a little bit. I'm fortunate that this happened, but freshman running back Trey Sanders, he's out. Uh, they're not saying what specifically, but they're saying he needs surgery out indefinitely. Sounds like uh, Matt Zinich of AL.com is reporting that he's out for the season. So that's tough. And then the other one that is that is really big here for the for the Crimson Tide, Josh McMillan. He's go, he was going to start at inside linebacker. Uh, he hurt his knee. They said on Monday that he required surgery. So now they now Alabama's got some of the best trainers in the world. Where they sometimes they get these guys and they they have surgery and then they're back by the playoffs. So yeah, uh, hopefully these guys can get back. But I don't know. It's it's looking unlikely. Dylan Moses was was held out of the scrimmage. LeBron Ray out for the scrimmage. DJ Dale hurt his knees out a couple weeks. These injuries are kind of stacking up here on the Crimson Tide. They are, man. And it just, I got it. seems like every year there's a linebacker going down. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and the Trey Sanders, I think uh, a lot of people look at it and they say, oh, yeah, we got plenty of depth. But I just think he was going to offer something that they didn't have. He was going to be kind of that X factor back there. And and, uh, not only was that a huge blow, but it was the last freaking play of practice, dude. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that really sucks. So, yeah, Alabama, man, I'll tell you what, if you got some – rabbit feet or whatever you got to do get you know get to praying because you can't have any more of these guys go out you have seen a lot of alabama fans asking to uh quit practice till this till duke game <laughs> just do it that's a good <laughs> idea just let duke be a scrimmage man <laughs> so let's jump to old saban he talked about what his players need to do coming out of uh, the first scrimmage here of training camp well as you would expect or as i would expect in a first scrimmage especially with the limited amount of practice that we've had. Um, We had a lot of good things happen out there today. We had a lot of guys make a lot of really good plays. And we had a lot of guys that, you know, didn't make good plays. Uh, But I think the most important thing, you know, that we can do right now is everybody needs to focus on, okay, where am I at as a player? That's all that matters. And what what do I need to do to improve? And to take responsibility for that and be accountable to that so that we can coach and teach guys to improve and get better so that they don't make the same mistakes the next time. Uh, But I think the thing that you don't want to happen is how many of the errors we made were mental errors, penalties, unforced errors. Nobody on the other side did anything to beat you, but you basically beat yourself. Lack of knowledge, lack of experience, or lack of discipline in terms of doing what you were supposed to do the way you're supposed to do it and do it that way all the time. So um, that's got to be, you know, where we are right now. Look, we, we've got some guys that have experience that are probably a lot closer to being game ready than others. Uh, and we got a lot of other guys that we need to really work hard with 
right, so that we develop a lot of depth on our team. All right, Shane, I thought this was classic Nick Saban, basically, you know, challenging everybody on his roster to be the best player they can be. And, I, you know, kind of like Kirby, I think this was just uh, their way of sending a message to the team that, you know, if you do your job, there's not going to be hardly anyone that can touch us. But uh, I'd, I, I'm not saying that he's not getting that right now, but it just sounds like he's challenging some of his better players to do that. Yeah, and it, but again, it just felt like old Saban saying the same old, same old, you know. We had a lot of guys do good, had a lot of guys do bad, so we're just going to keep <laughs> going, you know. <laughs> but I, I think there was some frustration here with Saban Shane later in this presser. This was some classic. We talk about Lane Kiffin getting his ass chewed by Saban on the sidelines. Uh, I think this is about as close as an ass chewing as Saban's going to get in a presser. And it came with some guy asking about some crazy stat about 2.5 seconds, and Saban was not having it. Yeah, this was awesome. Um, last season, uh, Tua's uh, completion percentage when he had more than two and a half sec- seconds in the pocket was 20% below than when he had less than two and a half seconds. And I was wondering if you could explain that, why that might have been the case. No, I really and, can't explain it because I never – where would you get that stat at? I mean, who did that stat? I mean, that's uh, – like, we don't even do those kind of stats. So I, I don't even know I, – I, I, I can't comment on something I don't know about. So – and it's not a significant stat, you know, to me. Um, so – I'm not spending any time worrying about it, thinking about it, answering a question about it, or anything else. Uh, I don't think it's any question about the fact that when you throw the ball one time and you have good protection, a quarterback's going to be more efficient and effective in terms of what he does. And when he gets pressure, it's going to affect him in some cases. So he has to learn to protect himself, and we have to do a good job of protecting him. And um, I don't think there's any stat that we have to have I mean, did somebody go out with a stopwatch on the film and do this? Or... All right, Shane. Who, who <laughs> the hell thinks to ask Dick Saban a question like this? And I, I thought his response was perfect. Dude, I was listening to it. When I first heard it, I was like, it, I thought it was going to be like a simple question. Then he started doing the 2.5 and all this stuff. And I'm like, what is he talking about? What kind of stat is that? And then, of course, Saban just ran with it. Oh, man, I'd love to have seen his face on this one because he said, is there somebody like with a stopwatch timing this thing? You know? uh, newsflash, if they got pressure, they're going to throw worse, you know? It's just like, oh, I love it. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Columbia, South Carolina. With the big news there with the Gamecocks, obviously the addition of Tavian Feaster. And here's something I had not thought about yet, Shane. We all talk about Feaster as this running back, as an explosive player that the Gamecocks have not had in recent seasons from that running back position. But uh, Jake Bentley was asked about that, but then he kind of was asked about Feaster, the receiver. And I think this is uh, some interesting comments here from old Jake Bentley. Have you seen a stepping up in the running game, especially with uh, Feaster now in the camp and what he brings to the running game? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. We, uh... We've we've hit we've hit some long runs in the last few days, um, and, and some crucial moments. Um, but really, all the running backs have stepped it up, and I think they've really embraced what Coach Brown is is, is uh, implementing there, and just that that kind of just uh, you know that that grind that he brings to practice and uh, the, the, what he expects. They're doing a great job. How good is Feaster in the in the passing game, especially when you can get the ball to him in space and use that speed? Yeah, I mean he's very natural. He's very natural with the ball in his hand, and that's something that. 
obviously him being at Spartanburg and you know me growing up there, I've always seen from him and being able to to catch the ball and and, and go score with it. So uh, that's something that that uh, he's shown you know a lot of promise in is in the passing game. Is it a little weird to have a Gamecock uh, walking across the Clemson graduation stage today? Uh, I mean, I guess so, but hey, I mean, you know, a college degree, that's big for him. And uh, I mean, that's something big that's, you know, we're student athletes, so to go get that degree is awesome. But, um, but he's, a, he's part of our team, and uh, he's a Gamecock now, and, and we've embraced that, and he's, uh, he's came in and worked hard. All right, Shane, so Bentley, you know, he didn't want to give Feaster too much praise. I think he's just let, he doesn't want to discourage the other running backs, but based on his comments there, I thought, uh, you know, I thought he really could tell there's, the Gamecocks got something that they didn't have before Feaster came on board. Yeah, I mean, he was he made a point to to point out the fact that he could catch the ball. So, yeah, you got to be excited about that. But you know, it's just kind of crazy the media just you know leeching on to to Feaster here. I mean, do they not acknowledge any of the running backs that were there? <laughs> I mean, Rico's a good guy. I, I think he's got some talent. You know, AJ, you know, he got some PT there. So I, I think they've got. More than Feaster, I think he's an added piece to this this stable of running backs. But uh, let's not forget what we got already, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. But the one thing with Rico Dell that I think South Carolina fans would acknowledge is the fact that he's really struggled to stay healthy. So that's another reason why this addition of Feaster is so huge. Because it's hard for me to imagine that he left Clemson as essentially the backup running back, albeit to an All-American in uh, ETN there. but So he left a situation, a very good situation, where he was the backup. South Carolina probably sold him on the fact that, hey, you come here, you're going to be the starter. We are going to give you the majority of the reps. And that's not to discourage Dowell, but let him be that number two option to where he doesn't have to carry the load. And I think that... It just makes the South Carolina offense even better to where you, you're right because he is a quality player, but it just when they ask him to shoulder the load, he's gotten hurt so many times. So maybe this is kind of this is what he'll want as well. It's kind of just the perfect storm of a running back situation. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Knoxville. Your boys were on the practice field this weekend for their first scrimmage. We don't have anything from Pruitt after the scrimmage, but we got some solid comments here, I thought, leading up to the scrimmage, Shane. And uh, let's jump to that because Jeremy Pruitt, I thought he, what he had to say here was pretty insightful as well. Just where Tennessee's still looking for guys, you know, they have some quality players, they have some experience, they know what they got in the few seniors and redshirt juniors they do have, but some of these freshmen, some of these sophomores, you know, they may look good on the practice field, but looking good on the practice field and looking good in Neyland Stadium are two different things to Jeremy Pruitt. You know, we, we got to – it starts up front. So we're looking for guys that, that don't make don't make mental mistakes. First thing is don't beat yourself, right? So guys that, that um, know what they're supposed to do. Uh, we're going to keep the, uh, the call simple on both sides of the ball to give the guys a chance to have success, uh, playing with the right temperament, uh, play until the whistle blows, uh, being consistent. Um, you know, things aren't always going to go their way, so how do they handle adversity? Uh, who can sustain? Who can finish? Um, defensively, you know, we have a lot of really young players. Um, so they need to be thrown out there and, and, and kind of turn loose and, and see what they're going to do, you know. Uh, 
because you don't know what you got until you go out there and do that. And the way the rules are now, you know, you, you, you don't get an opportunity but to, you know, take them to the ground, full-scale practice, but a few times. So this will be one of those times. So it'll be interesting. The coaches aren't out there with them. So, you know, when things don't go the right way, you know, how's the team going to respond? Is anybody going to have uh, a positive impact on the, on the folks around them? So um, it's always, you know, guys that, that have, have been really good up to this point, I've seen them disappear at the scrimmages, you know. I've seen guys that are really good uh, drill players, um, maybe okay during the team stuff, you know, in practice, but then when you get to the stadium, they disappear. You know, I've seen guys that's been that's good at both of them. They get to the stadium and disappear. You know, I've never seen one that wasn't good over here that gets good over there. So it'll be interesting to see if the guys who who've had really good camps so far how they respond when they get to the stadium uh, to get an opportunity to scrimmage. All right, Shane. So Pruitt's looking for some players, and it sounds like he really found one in Henry Toa Toa and Eric Gray. Two, those are two of the freshmen that are standing out in Knoxville so far so I don't know I think that's kind of hitting home exactly what Jeremy Pruitt was saying I think he was you know he's saying these you know maybe these young guys coming in they're looking good on the practice field challenging them to look good on the scrimmage all indications are you know these are two players that are they're really making a name for themselves what are your thoughts on all this yeah I think he hit the nail on the head man I mean you hear every team hears this there's there's always somebody that Oh boy, he's you know a lot of people are talking a lot of hot in practice, but then it never comes fruition. You know, you never see it when game day comes because some people face it; they're better at practice. And then I thought he hit this perfect because if you think about your favorite team and all the times that you were told there's a player on your team that's going to raise eyebrows, they're going to be oh man, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then nothing. You know what I'm saying? So. Uh, I think when the lights come on and it's harder, man, it's so much harder for coaches these days because it's not like when we were young, when we were young, you could have a physical practice. You could tackle, you could, you could know more about your team because they can actually be physical and something coach hit on, you know, they've got limited times where they can actually do full contact. So they're, they, these scrimmages are so important in finding who, who's going to rise to the top. Let me ask you, Shane, any concern that Trey Smith is still not participating in these scrimmages? I don't. I know if that was probably the plan going into it, but at what point do you need to see him get some contact? Or do you, or do you think maybe he's just not going to get any contact until the opening game? I don't know if, he, if that's the plan or, or what there. Well, you saw the video where he destroyed old boy, didn't you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I watched it about I mean, 25 times, and that's – that was a 300-pound uh, man that, if, if anyone's not seen it, we can put it on the Reddit page. But, uh, I mean, he just makes him look like a rag doll. Absolutely. That is a perfect video about how not to have leverage. So uh, <laughs> this, this was a uh, – you know, I don't think they worry about Trey because Trey is instantly going to be the best lineman on that front, whether he comes in this week, next week, or right before game – even on game day. So I, I don't think that they're – is a huge concern right now. But what would concern me is maybe the week going into that first game or maybe even the second. Maybe I mean, who knows? That BYU game may be more important. And 
if he's not there and participating and I mean, because you do need to create that chemistry. You can't, if, if Trey's not out there, it's hard when you just plug somebody in because you're used to a different tackle beside you or, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm not concerned as at now the 13th of August, but the closer we get, obviously the little more uh, anxious I get about the situation. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to the other Columbia, Columbia, Missouri. Well, old Barry Odom, you know, he doesn't do a lot of press availability that uh, I can <laughs> capture. So we do what we can with old Barry's comments. But these recent comments from a clip I did find, I thought it was pretty interesting, Shane, on two fronts. Because, again, I know we're hammering this, this point home, but it's a little bit different now that the team has actually taken the field, now that they're practicing, now that they're scrimmaging. And just the level of commitment they have to each other and just the buy-in and just what their motivation is there. And then also he talks about the latest on the NCAA appeals. And, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a very interesting comment he made here that I want to discuss on the other end. The team had a viral video over the weekend where they were pretending to be a marching band. Just how close-knit is this team? They do. They like each other. And we're not perfect. Um, but the culture again overrides everything that we've got and the leadership of our team starting with our senior class the things that they've done and been through and stood for uh, has permeated throughout our entire roster everything that that i want our staff focused on is the student athlete experience and for them when they walk into the doors here it shows a commitment uh, from from a lot of folks to that it's important. Where does it stand with the NCAA and the appeals process? Yeah, it's a, a process that has taught me some patience and also the ability to communicate with our team and our staff. And I'm, I'll even say to our fans, you know, we've got to control what we can control. And I think we were very aggressive uh, with, with our approach on it, but also in a respectful manner. And now it's to the point that uh, here, and I don't know a time frame, but we'll find out uh, kind of what ends up out of it, but it, for our team, it thinking about that, and I know it's out there, but thinking about it, it does absolutely zero for us. We don't control it. So we control on the number of opportunities we have to go play, the habits that it takes to prepare to be ready to go play them, and then we'll let the chips fall as they do. All right, Shane, so, you know, Barry Odom, I mean, he just seems so confident in what he's got coming in this year. And the thing about that bowl ban that I really wanted to get your thoughts on, Shane, when he said they were polite but forceful, uh, I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know. That kind of was like an eye-opener to where I think um, he's being a gentleman. I guess they were being gen- like gentlemen in their appeal process, what have you. But I think they they probably let it be known, basically, the outrage that's going to come from not only – you know, the fans, but the school, and, and not only the school, but the entire NCAA, if this thing doesn't get overturned, I don't think, I think they're just basically saying no one is ever going to deal with you again. No one is going to help an NCAA investigation. Uh, that That's kind of what I took from his comments here. You know, the thing about Barry is he, it feels like he did try to take the high road with this situation. And, you know, something you're talking about that he's been polite. They're trying to do everything they can to get the and they're not. And it feels like we're not getting anything back. Do you think in your mind it would have helped 
to be more vocal to, because a lot of people across the country aren't focused on Missouri right now in a bowl ban, but they could have made it that way if they made it about, you know, uh, more of a campaign over it. I mean, hell, if this happened to Georgia over a tutor, could you imagine? This thing would have been squashed, I think, you know, before it even got going. Mm -hmm. This, you know, they would have been a slap on the wrist. They maybe lost some scholarships or something like that, but they wouldn't get a bowl ban. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I think honestly, based on everything I've heard, they were just completely blindsided by the fact that a bowl ban came. They kind of like you. They thought I think they thought the worst case scenario was going to be some scholarships lost, maybe mm -hmm. some wins vacated, what have you. But I think that's another reason why they've been very open with their training camp. They are essentially letting reporters have all access to this thing. They're letting them cover every one and. They're letting damn Barstool show up and, and film everything because I think they want to get the word out, and I think they want to kind of make as much pressure as they can on the NCAA to say, you know, look at this good a story that we have here. Uh, you know, the, the sport is kind of – I don't want to say it's being hurt, but I think in some people's eyes it's being hurt by this transfer portal and, and these players jumping all across and everything. And Missouri is kind of the exception. Missouri is the, t the school that they kind of want where – you know, it's tough academics. It's a developmental program. You know, they're not doing any cheating in recruiting or anything like that. And now that the fact that all these players are bought in, run by an alumni of the school who's not going to, you know, hurt his program and, and just drop it at, leave at the drop of a hat for another offer he gets. I mean, this is a program that I think the NCAA should want the rest to kind of be mirrored in that image and yet they're going to hurt them i don't know it just it just is kind of flies in the face of everything they should want it to be and uh i think the i think missouri is doing a good job of just kind of letting the world in get their stories out and say all right you want to screw all these people over well get to know these people and you still want to screw them over i mean the the ncaa is already the bad guy in this situation they're going to look even worse if that's what they decide to do Dude, I agree with you. I mean, they, they they gave the information. They should reward the school that comes forward and helps. I mean, look at look at LSU, man, with the basketball coach stealing from a damn what was that a church fund or something like that or a hospital fund, mm -hmm. you know, on FBI got FBI wiretaps and everybody heard it plain as day. But you know, they're walking around and they don't have a bowl ban. And I know it's basketball, but you know what I'm saying? It's just it's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just, you know, obviously hoping this goes the other direction. We'll hopefully find out in the next few weeks here. But uh, I, know I just thought that was kind of an important clip to share. I mm -hmm. let's jump on down to Starkville. Well, Joe Moorhead met with the, with the media recently. And what do you know, Shane? He's talking about the quarterback competition. <laughs> and I really thought this was kind of interesting, Shane. Let's jump to Joe Moorhead. And then I'm going to back it up with some comments from Tommy Stevens, and then I'll kind of explain why I put those back to back. Going back to the the quarterbacks, you say you chart every or every throw that they make. Yeah. How easy is it to sort of you know distinguish between guys when you're just seeing them throw in practice? It's like how much will these scrimmages really help you determine you know who who's going to be the guy? Yeah, I think the uh, the scrimmage performance plays a role, but not necessarily. Uh, it's not the uh, 
only measuring stick, you know, it's, it's, it's completion percentage, it's touchdown to interception ratio, it's explosive plays created, uh, you know, it's how the team's rallying around you. So, the, so there's a bunch of different things and, you know, uh, certainly the scrimmage will play a big part in it, but it, it really what you want is their body of work to paint a picture and just, you know, like we talked about, our ability to create, uh, improve our, improve our pass game with, a uh, respect to efficiency, explosiveness while still, uh, you know, protecting the football and uh, gaining the confidence of your teammates. And, um, you know, ultimately, like I said, they're both showing that they can run the ball capably. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to which two, which of those two throw the ball the best. Are you playing the way that you want to play in practice? Do you feel like you're up to your own standards? Yeah, I think that, um, I guess if you were to go by the numbers, this is probably my best camp so far. Um, as far as like completion percentage and, you know, things that I've been doing with the football. but. You know, obviously there's there's been mistakes made and you know, there's things that I, I've been able to learn from watching the tape and um, so you know, there's always room to improve and uh, and all that side of things. But overall, I think I've done a pretty good job and um, you know, the offense in general has been has been really good, been explosive. So, um, you know, like I said, excited to continue to evolve and keep getting better every day. All right, Shane. So Moorhead kind of hit on it there. They're looking for the most consistent passer. You know, I think Keaton Thompson for all the praise we've thrown his way that's maybe a not something we've seen from his game yet and then here we got Tommy Stevens saying this is the best camp of his life I don't know maybe I'm reading too much into this shame but it certainly suggests to me that Joe Moorhead and Tommy Stevens are on the same page here and and he's kind of setting it up for, for old Tommy Gun to take over <laughs> that's what it feels like man yeah, these guys are barbecuing at night and high-fiving, you know, <laughs> going to the movies together, <laughs> talking about Pennsylvania, you know. <laughs> oh, I love it, yeah. I'm sorry, Keaton, man, you're out. <laughs> and then, so in addition to those comments, Shane, you know, Mississippi State, obviously, we're all focused on getting this quarterback situation resolved, getting these receivers going. But the whole thing's not going to matter, Shane, if this – defense takes a giant step backward and that's kind of something Joe Moorhead hit on on the defense not taking a you know of falling off a cliff here with so many NFL prospects gone off his roster this year with the numbers and talent that you lost on defense how do you keep the defense up to that standard that was kind of set last year yeah I think uh coach Hoop and his staff have done a you know you know nice job Kind of acknowledging the the fact that we lost a lot of talent and certainly a lot of production, uh, but at the same time, uh, not lowering the expectation level or the standard with which we want to perform. And uh, you know, I think you know across the board, you look at the d- different positions. I think you know it's kind of a little bit different. You know, at linebacker, you, know, you bring both the guys back. You know, two of the top guys you know in the country. And, uh, at other positions, that it's talent that requires experience. So uh, you know, I think uh, you know. We're, you know the the base kind of foundation of our, of our scheme remains the same. The coach Hoop's done a good job with you know off season studies and things we're going to tweak and install. So it's not about, in a certain respect, it's not about pl- plays. It's about players, and you, you still want to hold true to to to, uh, to your system, but at the same time, not ask kids to do things they're not capable of doing. So so within the scheme, there's enough flexibility that you know you lose all those linemen. You know that all right. This is what we're going to do up front or, or on the second level to try to you know kind of mitigate some of those departures. All right, Shane. So I thought this was particularly interesting because old Bob Shoop, our boy Bob Shoop, 
Didn't, didn't do didn't do very well at Tennessee, Shane. But it mm-hmm. certainly seemed like anyone associated with Old Butch, they didn't do too well up in Rocky Top, and everywhere else they they're they're gold. So and Bob Shoup's no exception. Outstanding coordinator last year. Outstanding coordinator everywhere he's been besides Tennessee. And I think he what he what Moorhead's touching on here is kind of what Shoup does. He's done it at Vanderbilt. He did it at Penn State before they, you know, before their Rose Bowl years. He's just kind of got more out of less, and that's what he's going to have to ask to. Now they they still got pieces there at Mississippi State. I'm not saying they're trash defense by any means, but this is going to be a somewhat of a rebuild. And I think what Moorhead's hitting on was what Shoup's is kind of Shoup's game plan here for turning this defense, or or not turning them into a, an elite defense, but maintaining. They're not going to be as good, but as if they cannot take such a huge step back, Mississippi State is uh, going to have a solid year this year. But aren't you a little concerned? I mean, they did lose a lot, and when your coach is out here saying, "You know what? You know, we're going to have to play to our strengths," and you know, I, I don't know if I like that attitude, but it just kind of—I don't know—makes me worry just a little bit about this defense because shoot, yeah, he didn't do great in Tennessee, but he didn't have talent. He goes – I mean, he had some talent. But then he goes down Mississippi State. They're loaded defense. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And a lot of it you see in the NFL. I mean, the product's on the fields already. So, it, it just – I don't know. I'm a little concerned going into this year, especially if my coach is out here saying, you know what, we're just going to play to what we're good at. And, you know, it just didn't – it didn't come across as a as a great, a great comment to me. Well, to me, what he's talking about there, Shane, they've got – they really do have some outstanding linebackers. They got out. They got an outstanding corner. Uh, their other corner is not as good, but he's experienced. So I think he's kind of saying instead of the defensive line leading the way, we got to let those guys lead the way. Uh, you can't do it without a defensive line. Their interiors just compl- I mean, I think they lost everyone off the first, second, and third deep. I mean, it's it's that bad at defensive tackle, but uh, they got some talent at defensive end. I don't know. I I think I've got hope. If, yeah, I'm, but, if I'm Mississippi State, that you're still going to have a solid defense. I think they're going to have a top 25 defense this year. Okay. I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a bold take. But how many times have you ever heard a coach say, you know what, our cornerbacks are going to make our defensive linemen look awesome. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's always the opposite. It's like our, our defensive linemen is stout. It's what we're talking about Auburn. You know, the defensive line is so stout that it's going to free up those linebackers and it's going to make them look better. And then it bleeds back to the cornerbacks mm-hmm. because they don't have to have so many in the box. But I've never heard it in reverse. I've never heard great secondary makes great defensive lineman you know what i'm saying so i mean i'm i'm don't get me wrong they got talent down there they got pieces uh they've got a lot of talent on that defensive side of the ball it's just they don't have as much as they did last year on the defensive front obviously and i think that's going to show a little bit Mm -hmm. i mean it'd be crazy not to think that it wouldn't yeah all right shane let's jump on down to baton rouge coach o met with the media recently to talk about the tigers recent scrimmage and i thought the most interesting thing I mean, aside from all his damn guys getting hurt, <laughs> was yeah. it, talk about the something he picked up from Pete Carroll. Uh, you know, before we jump into this, Shane, we should note Joe Burrow did not participate in this scrimmage, and this is just a recent camp injury here for the Tigers. Now, he was back at practice on Monday, so LSU fans can breathe easy, easy there. Joe Burrow, nothing major, but you still don't like to see all these guys held out. I mean, Chasson's still out. Grant Delpit's still out. 
I mean, they got pieces all over the field. I don't know what's going on there at LSU. Maybe they're just being overly cautious with these guys, but that's that's a tough sign. But let's jump to Coach O. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. His uh, kind of his coordinator battles here. Hey, Ed, uh, when you've talked about players in practice, you seem like a big competition guy. You know, with with Steve calling plays against Dave, do you, do you have that same approach with coaches? Oh, no question. It was on to me. It was it was game time, six o'clock in the morning in there, man. There was some game faces going. And, that's just the way it is, and uh, they had a good time. It was a good day. I, but, you know, Steve and uh, Joe were in the press box, uh, so it was a good good uh, chance to get the plays called in, sideline adjustments, what we have to do, and who needs to get on the headset. Uh, we were a little bit rusty. Uh, there, was a, there were times where uh, we went over the 25-second play clock, but that's expected on the first game, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll be better next week. Have you always done it that way? or What's that? that? Have you always done it that way? With yeah, we, we did that with Coach Carroll, and uh, – and I got it from him. So. All right, Shane. So Dave Aranda, arguably the best defensive coordinator in the nation, go, going up against old Steve Anzeminger. <laughs> and it sounds like uh, it's, it sounds like it was a good battle here with Coach O. I, you know, I like it. I really do. And and I think that it helps during these scrimmages. I just really hope though that after they they don't hate each other. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> yeah. you know you want. Uh, you want somebody like Aranda coming to you and saying, hey, listen, uh, this is why we were successful on this blitz because your guys doing, you know, I mean, we're, we're a team here. So uh, I, I just hope that, it, you know, it was awesome for scrimmage, right? But after this, let's bring them back together and uh, let's, let's, let's find our faults here. All right, Shane, st- sticking with LSU, this is my favorite clip of, of this entire episode. Our guy, the Flying Hawaiian. He nearly had a scoop and score touchdown, but it ended horribly for him. You know, I start taking off downfield and I'm running and uh, the ball, I got the ball in one hand and um, I just see everybody on the sideline just start running too. And everybody kind of clowns on me about it because Miles Brennan caught me. But in my defense, Miles is a quarterback. A quarterback's supposed to be faster than a defensive tackle. Um, I'm 290 pounds, 285 pounds, and so if Miles doesn't catch me, then that's a problem. He's supposed to catch me. You know, I wanted Miles to get some, you know, get some hitting in too, because we can't hit him. So he's got to get some type of physical tackling in and practice. And so I let him tackle me. I mean, I could have scored. I could have made, you know, the defense look good. But you know, I was thinking of the team. I thought about Miles. Thought he had to get a couple hits in, and so, you know, uh, not much necessarily scored. But he definitely scooped. Uh, jumped the toss. <laughs> Um, his first five steps, you know, we watched it on film. His first five steps were tremendous. I thought he was going to take it all away. I just saw him running down the field. I was like, oh, my God, Brayden has the ball. And he, he really looked good for the first 10 yards, and then he kind of did the old lineman. I'm about to get caught move. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go celebrate. <laughs> you know, I look like – I really look like Darius for the first five steps, I'm not going to lie. And then for the last 30, I look like – shoot. Tyler and Apu put together. (laughs) Oh, God, that's awesome. All right, Shane, the flying Hawaiian, he ran out of tank, man. I don't know what they're feeding him down there, but uh, he he had nothing in his reserves after that one. That's awesome, man. Dude, I'm good for about 20 myself. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe 10 if it's downhill. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Oh, I love clips like this, man. All right, Shane, let's jump to Fayetteville. Woo pig! We're old Chad Morris. He updated us on Razorbacks' latest scrimmage here, and 
Man, Shane, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, he's positive, but this is a little bit uh, dangerous territory here based on what we saw last year. Coach, I know you'll want to dissect the, the film, but was there any separation at quarterback? Did anybody have a better day over the, the group? Well, no, not really. I mean, they, they, I, was, I was pleased with all of them. Um, I thought that uh, John Stevens started it off. Uh, for the most part, I mean, he led he led us down um, on about a I think seven or eight play drive, and uh, with a touchdown pass, and it just from there it just kind of caught fire um, with some guys making some plays. And again, it's a situational scrimmage, so there was times that we would go eight plays, and it might be second down, and we finished our eight plays and we get them off the field. So uh, it was more of how you reacted in your first series, uh, as far as just your first three plays, and could you get create a first down. Um, I thought that uh, I thought I thought Ben started off um, and did some good things, made some really good throws, uh, and then Nick came in and did some good things as well. Um, now I was I was pleased with him. I know we we missed a deep ball down the sidelines. I wish we would have had back, but uh, miscommunication on a route. But um, but Nick had a great ball and it was in the spot where it needed to be. Um, KJ Jefferson continues to impress us. Um, he's physical, he's big, uh, really good in his decision making, and it showed that today. Um, so I'm, I, was, I was pleased with where all four of them are right now. we got a great competition going. All right, Chad, so this is kind of something that you had hit on on an earlier podcast with Chad Morris talking about these quarterbacks. I mean, he said, I mean, maybe he's just doing the coach speak thing, but he sounds fired up about all four of his quarterbacks, uh, particularly uh, K.J. Jefferson. And mm -hmm. I, I'm trying to figure out, why in the world they're – I mean, I guess you got to get this guy reps, but at what point are you just giving it to the two guys that are actually going to be playing this year? I'm telling you, what if it is KJ? I mean, he's – he's every time you hear him, he's so excited about him, and he's talking about his frames there, and he was zipping the ball. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I really do think that we got a three-headed monster here, and I think it's going to be Starkle or KJ when it comes down to it. That'd be interesting, Shane. Two grad transfers come in and a freshman comes in. I'm, of course, we've never seen that before, but there's always going to be a first. And then you got old, even Stephen John Jones, whatever his name is. They, they're fired up about this kid. Old Jerry, they're throwing Jerry a bone here. <laughs> well, I mean, just the fact that he he's so mobile. I mean, that I mean, could you imagine being more? Not that Starkle's not. Hicks definitely isn't. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Right. But. Here you got Starkle. He's got some mobility to him, but then you got somebody like KJ. Man, if you're if you're Morris and you've been using sixty percent, seventy percent of your playbook because your quarterback's not as mobile as you'd like, and then you got KJ and he's, yeah, he he does maybe he doesn't check all the boxes, but he checks a lot of them, and it opens up that playbook. I, I could see why Morse is excited. He's got this new toy, and it's got, you know, it just needs some batteries, but as soon as he gets the batteries, he's going to get to play with it. So I just, I, I feel like that's the kind of uh, the talk we get when we hear from Morse. And I, maybe I'm reading into it, but I just think that it's going to open up his offense when he does have somebody like K.J. Becker getting the ball. Mm -hmm. Final thing here on the Razorback, Shane, I know we had hit on this on a previous podcast, but old Chad Morris kind of called out C.J. O'Grady, you know, said he's got to figure out if he wants to be here or not. And, you know, based on this conversation, Chad Morris said, you know, C.J.'s bought in. He's, he's, he's totally buying into what we're doing here. And I think that's great news for the Razorbacks because, you know, message loud, received loud and cleared here, apparently. Um, I mean, he's got to get these seniors on board what he's doing, too. It can't just be a youth movement there in Fayetteville. That's true, man. It's true.
Aisha, let's jump to Lexington. Where Mark Stoops recapped the first Kentucky scrimmage of training camp. You know, he sounded like he was all right, pleased with his offense, but it sounded like he had some real issues on defense. And apologies for the audio quality. Apparently at Kentucky, they do press conferences on a live basketball court. I mean, there, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but this is the best This is the best audio we had of it. You know, the scrimmage, I think, was just okay. We need, uh, we have a lot of work to do. I'm really pleased uh, with the offense. Um, offensively, I thought we really played and did some good things. Uh, things that set us back are some typical mistakes and things that have hurt us in the past and we got to get those corrected you know just getting behind the chains any penalties been a little sloppy that way we did take care of the football but uh anytime we got behind the chains uh, with a sack or anything negative yardage plays uh, was hard to overcome uh, but overall they did some good things defensively got a lot of work to do you know i was just disappointed i was disappointed with the strength of our team you know the inexperience the no excuse, but uh, you know you you know you're going to make some mistakes and some things are going to happen. Uh, but the strength of our team needs to be the strength, and uh, and today I just didn't feel like we were up to the challenge defensively, and that's disappointing. Uh, but uh, fortunately, we have a lot of a lot of time left to get some things rectified. Is that lack of strength across the board, or was there a particular group? That- well, I just you know, like I said, just you know, the, the strength of our defense. Guys that with with uh, experience and and, uh, and and that are big, strong guys, and you know, run defense, things of that nature. I just felt like we were a little out of position today. You know, there there needs to be a you know heightened sense of urgency, and uh, that that's what I'm looking for. You know, in in particular from you know guys that are in question. You know, if our defense is in question, then they need to play with some urgency. And there's a difference between panicking and being urgent. And uh, there's no sense of panic because we know they can do it, and I trust our coaches and our players, and we'll get it done. But they have to understand that, that they have to play with a great sense of urgency. We have no time to waste. And, uh, you know, we we got we to gotta pick it up in certain spots. So- All right, Shane, so there's Mark Stoops. It sounds a little, little fired up. Maybe the toughness not quite there, challenging some of his guys. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Stoops had to say here? Oh man, I tell you, out of all of them, this one this one worries me the most, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm not I, I'm concerned about their defense more than anybody's in the league right now. And uh and it's not I'm not getting that confidence from coach when he's up there talking about how bad they were. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean I, I agree with you there, uh, but you never know when they when he's just calling people out that need to get called out, you know. Maybe like our boy, I don't think it's Cash Daniel. I certainly don't, but I think it's probably some of the players that are stepping into big time roles this season need to make a name for themselves. But uh, yeah, but why wouldn't you think it was Cash? I mean, he talked about it was more the defensive front. You know, I don't think it was the secondary as much, which is obviously my real big concern. But you know, he was he was upset with the defensive front and the linebackers. You know, those are the ones that are stopping the run. It feels like they had a little trouble doing that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm trying to be positive about Kentucky, Shane. We've, we've been talking <laughs> them up. I I don't. They're they're not going into the tank. I'm convinced of it. So they got to get this thing turned around here. 
Final team we got to hit on here, Shane. Let's jump on down to College Station. Gigamag. Oh, Jimbo Fisher, Shane. He was finally positive about something. It was AM Fan Day this weekend, and oh, Jimbo, he's all fired up about Kellen Mond and the progression and just more or less his grasp of the system. I thought this was kind of a cool exchange here. Kellen is so much farther along in the, in the discussions and the things we, we talk about and able to not just learn what I'm trying to say, but com- conversate and have opinions and about wh- how we should do it, why we should do it, because I think he understands how we're attacking things now and what would be another good you know, And I say, you know something, that, is, that, that could be good there. You know what I mean? I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's, for lack of a better term, how, when your children grow up, as they get older, the conversations they have with you, you know what I'm saying? And his, from a football standpoint, a psychological standpoint, I think are really good. And I think that's now allowing him to transition into putting his personality and demeanor on the other players. It's hard to do that when you're still battling for a job yourself and proving yourself. And I think so from that standpoint, he has grown tremendously. I think there's still a lot of growth because now I think there's stages you go through in a quarterback. One, I don't know what the heck's going on. I'm glad they're playing on ability. Then I – you know, I start to figure it out, and I'm in that stage, and I'm doing it off and on, and my athleticism gets me in and out, and I can, ha- I can have a conversation, and I can I always say I can trick coach enough to know because they don't ever – you know, if you don't ever know something, it's like you and your business. You don't want your boss to know. And I think you go in those kind of – they know just enough to have the conversation. Oh, yeah, I thought that. Then I think you really start to understand. You start to have success. And then I start, you know, like I think he did, and really understanding why he does things, being able to physically do them and translate his abilities there. And I think there's another level that goes to a championship level that I think, you know, I think it's in the stages of where he's at of I know it, and then there's so many little nuances of when I do this, when I do, even though that's right, that may not, there's a more, there's a better right within the situation based off where we're at. And I think that is where, your truly elite guys come, and I think that's the process of he's starting to get himself to because he has – I mean, he tremendously knows what we're trying to do offensively. He understands how to attack coverage. He understands how to work that leverage to this leverage. He knows the type of throws he's got to make. He knows the toughness he's got to play with and competitiveness. And now there's, there's right and there's more right, and there's wrong and there's more wrong. And then, you know, how to, how to be aggressively intelligent in certain areas of the field where we're – I don't want to say, you know – you're in the red zone, for instance, to give an example, a red zone, tight zone. You, you know, you say, well, we got points, and the guy throws a pick, and you say, why does he do that? Well, if he doesn't ever try things, how's he ever going to score a touchdown? Things are tighter, quicker, faster. But at the same time, how you do that with aggressive intelligence and where you miss at and those things, I think that's where he's really growing and understanding, and I think those are the final stages he's getting to. I've been very pleased with his progress. All right, Shane, so if Kellen Mond – we've hit on it all offseason. If Kellen Mond takes his game to the next level – I mean, Aggies could really surprise some people this year. I know they have a lot to replace, but they're loaded with young talent, loaded at receiver, particularly for Kellamon to throw to. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Jimbo had to say here? Well, I mean, that's that's music to my ears, man. If my head f- football coach is talking about my star quarterback progressing to the next level, because we know Mond has what it takes. We we saw pieces of it last year, and now your coach is coming out and saying, you know what, he's got the potential to be even better, and he is on that path. That is huge, man. Right here in fall camp, that's big time. So I like them news. Yeah, particularly when it's coming from Jimbo Fisher. Because he obviously he played quarterback in college. He was very well regarded at his level. I think it was like Division three, what have you. But and then he's gone on to coach some of the best college quarterbacks during his time there at Florida State. So 
you know, and he's talked about the way he sees the game, how he wants his quarterbacks to see the game, and that's kind of how he coaches them. That's how it, that's what they talk about. And this is something that he's that he discussed at length all last season here at Texas A&M, and it sounds like Kellen Mond is finally where he wants them. Essentially, looking at the game, reading defenses, and and just having a complete understanding of what he's being asked to do and how and what they're attacking defenses with. No, and and that's something he talked about was the. Um... You know, it's kind of like the boss employee thing that he was saying. I think that hit home just because you can act like you know what you're doing around your boss, but. Hey, you're coming in real weird. You sound like an alien. Just close this bitch out. All right. All right, Shane. I think that's going to do it for this one. I can't get can't get you on a damn line here. You got anything before we hop off here? No, that's it. We got some reviews of Mailbag. We'll get in that tomorrow. This one's been kind of a long one, so I appreciate everybody taking the time to rate and review us. And uh, sorry for talking so quick. I'm just afraid I'm going to cut out again because it's cheap ass internet I'm on. So even though I pay... All right, Jay. I'll catch you on the next one.